0: This is ContraZoom,
1: where we go back and forth about film.
0: I'm Dakota Arsenault.
1: And I'm Rachel Ho.
0: Toronto has been the primary filming location for hundreds of movies. Between local governments giving tax credits, our weaker dollar being great for stretching the the margins, plenty of studio space, and easily granted permits for filming on locations. Add in a hotbed for creatives... Actors, writers, and directors, and plenty of skilled crews mean it's easy to bring American money and stars up north and filling out the rest of the production with locals. Best picture winners like The Shape of Water in Chicago utilize notable landmarks, Suicide Squad, the bad one, up Young and Dundas Square, X-Men use Loma for Xavier School. The Resident Evil franchise managed to convince the city to allow City Hall to stand in for the Evil Umbrella Corporation and mean girls showed off the rich side of the city by using the bridal path for regina george's mansion house but toronto has also played itself plenty of times too with the recent release of pixar's turning red and it being set in ontario's capital and canada's largest city we thought we would talk about the movies and the, that movie and others that showcase toronto in all of its glory there are canadian classics such as take this waltz Kids in the Hall Brain Candy, I've Heard The Mermaid Sing, Going Down the Road, and just about every David Cronenberg, like Crash, the good one, Exotica, Dead Ringers, Videodrome, and Cosmopolis among the many. We've narrowed down a select set of films that highlight the city that we love. I think we need to start the discussion off, though, with the most famous and notable movie that has ever taken place in Toronto, and that is the Hayden Christensen and Emma Roberts movie Little Italy. Little Italy is not big enough for me and you. When did all of this go from crazy? What'd you put in the pizza today? Always oh, the same, the best. That's not oregano. Too batshit insane. Bye-bye. I'll get you finished, your spruits. Have you seen this movie?
1: I haven't. That's the pizza one, right?
0: It is, yes.
1: The pizza <laughs> one. I'll <laughs> say Hayden Christensen lives in Uxbridge, and I grew up not far away from Uxbridge. Really? Um, yeah, he lives there. I I think he still lives there, but like apparently he bought a farm or something, I don't know, up in Uxbridge. Um, And yeah, I went there for the first time a couple of years ago, but I I grew up very, very near to Uxbridge, just never went. Also, I want to pick you up on something, the fact that the first time you said Toronto, you said Toronto. And no, no, I did
0: not. Is, no, I didn't. Absolutely. I haven't been away that long.
1: <laughs> Listen to the tape. All right. When you go back to record this, when you go back to edit this, you're going to see the very first time you said Toronto, you said Toronto.
0: Oh, that's embarrassing. That's so yeah. embarrassing. I might, One I of might us have will be to wrong, edit I'm, in the, the audio no, here no, no, no. for proof. <laughs>
1: That'll be a really funny cut. It'll just be like, hello, Toronto? Toronto. Toronto? Toronto? No. You definitely said Toronto,
0: which made me laugh a little bit. But <laughs> oh no, yeah. oh no, yes. I'll say it was I've funny. Too long, too long, too long now. Uh, it's it's so weird now that I live out in Vancouver and I tell people that I'm from Toronto, they're all like, "Oh yeah, out east." I'm like, "What? Toronto's not east." Like, I guess
1: isn't it weird that we geographically say geographically like, speaking, we,
0: it is east, but it's not out east.
1: But that's like I think a very American thing because we're on the east coast, like we're lined up with the east coast of America. So I think that's why we said, and also we're in the Eastern time zone, whereas the Maritimes have their own time zone. So I get that. I still say like, you know, people, I I rag on the West Coast a lot because I'm like, I'm just not a West Coast person. I go, I'm like a fairly East Coast person, but then I have to remind myself like Toronto is not actually East Coast, not in Canada (laughs) anyways, like we're not considered East Coast. Um, But if you line us up with the Americans, then yes, we are East Coast.
0: So then, to flip it, if if I was to say, uh, "Oh, I'm going out west," how mm-hmm. what what starts being west for you? Alberta, Alberta. Okay, that's that's what I would do as well because you know Saskatchewan's kind of eh, everyone forgets They're about prairie it. Manitoba. Provinces, Manitoba yeah. isn't really west; it's kind of central. No,
1: I consider Saskatchewan and Manitoba to be like prairie provinces. So if you're saying like, "Oh, I'm going out to the prairies," yeah, so I would say Manitoba, Saskatchewan. Then west is Alberta okay and bc is the westest of the west
0: yes okay that's fair that's fair uh we are not talking about little italy i watched the trailer just out of curiosity and my (laughs) god i barely made it through the two minutes of that what a what a terrible looking movie that is and it does it doesn't even look like toronto even though it's supposed to take place in little italy in toronto um but yeah, <laughs> the the focus of this conversation is the release of Turning Red, and so we thought we'd kind of talk about this movie a little bit, review it a little bit, and talk about its Toronto-ness, and then move on and sort of talk about other movies that we sort of highlight that show off different aspects and sides of, of this city that we love. Uh, neither of us are originally from Toronto, but we have both lived there. I, I live there a good chunk of my life. You no longer live there, but you you visit there often. It's a great city. I love going there and it's always fun when you can watch an American movie and be like, oh, hey, I recognize that. That's the Gardner Expressway or Casaloma or whatever other, you know, notable landmark that they're using and trying to disguise the fact that it's not actually Toronto when it's, you know, is supposed to be New York or Pittsburgh or Chicago or whatever other city that you want it to be. I'm Maylin Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want, 24-7-365. never no fire.
1: Like, I don't got time to mess around. Oh, uh, uh, about that hustle, am I right? Never not my uh, life, poor town. My, this is gonna be the back best back year side. ever, yes. and nothing's gonna get in my way. All
0: right. Turning red feels like the first movie since another movie we're gonna talk about later, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, where its Toronto ness is very integral to the plot. And and I would say that's that's due to a few different reasons. One, the, the writer and director, Dongmi Shi, is from Toronto, so obviously she would, you know, utilize it to the best of its ability. But I think Turning Red also does a great job of highlighting the multicultural nature of the city, and especially the very large Chinese population we have, not only in Canada, but Toronto as a whole, where we, we've got multiple Chinatowns. And it is a massive section of the city, especially the one along Dundas Street. And, and this movie really sort of highlights that area of the city and makes it a character to the point where there's numerous scenes that take place there. And then the final climactic scene takes place in the Skydome, notably not the Rogers Center, but the Skydome. <laughs> so you've now seen this movie, I want to say like two months ago. You've even had the chance to interview Domishi twice, I believe, since this movie yeah. has come out. Are you sick and tired of talking about this movie by now?
1: I'm not because it is, I I will say for me, it is not top tier Pixar. Like it's not one of my favorite Pixar movies, but um, I thoroughly enjoy kind of what it represents. And the reason I interviewed Domichi twice was the first time was just as like a general promo interview about, You know the movie, and then the second time I caught her was because after the movie was released, and it was because of some of the unfortunate um, backlash that the movie somehow um, generated. Like, who knew that this was going to be the movie that turned film Twitter into just um, an even greater cesspool than it already is? Um, And so that that's why I interviewed her twice was just to to do a piece on the kind of i guess the reactions and some of the reviews uh there's a very notorious review but we don't need to draw too much attention to that um but i i like you know what you said of of showing the diversity like that was a sticking point i've seen on online of people being like i thought it was supposed to be toronto i thought it was supposed to be canadian like (laughs) basically saying like why aren't there enough white people in this and it's like well if you actually go to toronto and like you grew up in toronto and um especially if you went to school somewhere like Chinatown, like down on the Spadana Dundas, Chinatown area. That is what Toronto looks like. Like Toronto is one of the most multicultural cities in the world. And even other places I've been to where they say that they're very multicultural, it's like to me it doesn't feel like that because I guess we've just been around kind of peak multiculturalism. <laughs> um, and so other cities like London like don't really compare in the same way. Uh, One thing that I found was really interesting from when I was talking to Domi was about the diversity. And so because it's an animated movie, she really pushed hard to, it was like extra money and extra time to make sure that even like background characters, little animated characters in the back were of different races. Like it wasn't just going to be all the same. And it wasn't even just about the racial makeup of um, May's classmates. It was about like tall and big and, you know, just kind of different shapes and sizes of people to make mm-hmm. it a bit more realistic. And typically in animation, I I think what she says is like in animation, nothing is for free. Like you have to create and build everything. So rather than just copy and pasting the same figure and then, you know, kind of animating it that way, which is a lot, obviously a lot quicker. She was very determined to make sure that No, like they're going to take the time. And even if that person is only shown in the background for like half a second, she wanted to make sure that, you know, the hallways of the of the school that May and her friends go to is filled with a, just a bunch of different type of people, that the streets of Toronto were filled with a um a bunch of different people. And I thought that that was really cool because I never thought about that for animation, actually, that like, it's very different to live action where it's just getting a bunch of extras. But this is actually, you have to have somebody, an animator go in and take the time to really create all those people, all those little, you know, images, whereas um it would have been quicker for them to just do like a... I always think of like the stormtroopers in Star Wars, like a copy and paste CGI mm, mm-hmm. stormtroopers like that. So I thought that was really cool. And I like that Domi specifically made sure to to emphasize that about the city.
0: Yeah. And, and I guess anyone who hasn't been to Toronto before, like if, if I know someone is visiting and they're asking for recommendations... I would get to the point where I would say Chinatown is is a good tourist place to go. You know, if you like eating dim sum, you go go down to Chinatown, go down to Spadina and Dundas Street and and have some dim sum there and and see what the authentic experience as as much as you can get away from, you know, going to a Chinese family's house or going directly to China. Toronto is one of the best places that you can get the authentic experience especially in cuisine anywhere in the world and that's not just for 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 chinese culture that's just about for any culture because there's so many different communities that that live and thrive in the city it's so easy you think it's like when people ask me about the same like think of a style of cuisine of food there is an entire neighborhood that serves only that you can get that and if you yeah love china's chinese pretty food, impressive in that yeah. yeah and if you love chinese food Uh, And you want like a a great buffet and you want some picking duck, whatever you want, whatever you're thinking about with some dumplings, go to Chinatown in Toronto and you'll get some of the best that you can, that you can think of. Obviously there's other places. If you're, if you're a local, you know that Markham is a great place to go for, for, for Chinese food, places like that. But Toronto, if you're, if you're staying in downtown Toronto, Walk through, experience the sites, experience, you know, all those outdoor fruit and veggie markets that they have, explore the the interesting shops that they have, all the, the, the funness that you can have there. It's such a great part of the city, and I love it. And it's something that I'm, no longer I'm living just, in the city, I really miss.
1: I'm just going to say, Um, you already touched on Markham, but. Uh, Yeah. Chinatown downtown does not have the best Chinese food in the GTA. (laughs) I'm just going to put it out there. It's not the greatest anymore. I think it is because it became more of a tourist destination. Um, And also, you know, there are still a lot of, it is still Chinatown in terms of like, there are a lot of Chinese people who live in that area, but it is an aging community. And, you know, the newer families, the newer arrivals, they are going up north to um, a suburb, a suburb a suburb called uh, Markham, which is just, yeah, I don't know. Why. I think I was thinking suburban, um, which is just North of Toronto. And that is truly where you can get some of the best Chinese food in my opinion. Like, and it's, um, initially like when I was growing up, it was mostly Cantonese food because the population in Toronto and GTA was mostly from Hong Kong. Um, but now that there's a lot more people from mainland China, uh, you get a lot of Shanghai food, a lot of uh, you know, just more northern cuisines, which is really cool, actually. Because and, and Scarborough is actually a really good place for Chinese food as well. Just for anyone who's listening who comes to Toronto and they they want to get like actual good Chinese food, go there, <laughs> go there. It's fair yeah, Chinatown, Chinatown downtown's not the greatest.
0: So I'm I'm curious to ask you as a Chinese Canadian, how did you feel about the the, the types? The, the way the representation of of May's family was because we I think we get throughout the the film we sort of get this great i uh, look into what family means in the chinese community the, the the close bond that may has with her mother and then eventually with her aunties and her grandma and when they all come into the city and stuff like that. I was just wondering did did the way it was portrayed did it sort of feel accurate to either yourself or or other people that you know that also are of Chinese-Canadian descent, and and was it represented accurately?
1: Yes and no. I think that the beginning bits, like the idea that May feels the need to get really good grades and be kind of the perfect daughter, um, that's a very common thing. I think but amongst like a lot of immigrant families, to be fair, not just Chinese families or Asian families, I think there's a pressure when you are, you know, the the immigrant kid. You're the first generation born in Canada, um, or you're very young when you came over, and there's a there's a pressure that you do very well, especially in school, because education is is a very, um, it's very much so prioritized within Asian communities, East Asian communities in particular, but South Asian as well. Um, And so in that sense, like the idea of may always wanting to be perfect and wanting to do good by her parents, I think is, is a very, very real thing. Um, And, you know, I, I always think, I think every kid, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, I think every kid, they just want to please their parents. Um, Maybe it's a bit more emphasized in, in Asian culture because we do have kind of, you know, there's a big emphasis is also put on like respecting your elders and, um, things like that and your ancestors. So uh, maybe it's a bit more put upon for us, but I, you know, it, it, there is amongst the the specificity that Domi puts in that is about Chinese culture and um, that there is a great universality, universality, universality. I can't speak right now um, to it, which I really appreciate. And I think when I say no, the reason is, is because it like, Turning Red does kind of turn into a bit of a uh, a borderline fantasy mm-hmm. <laughs> movie at some point. And I mean, I think that that's kind of played as a bit more, it's fantastical and it's a bit more like, what's the word I like for? It's like, it's like, it's that idea of looking at like, oh, the Far East and like, look at how, you know mystical that's the word mystical um our culture is and stuff like that and that is a is a bit of an exaggeration and a bit of kind of pixar disney magic put in but i i'm not like i don't think it takes away from the movie at all i think that that's kind of what makes pixar movie and disney movies um that's what makes them them because they do add in those little elements that are otherworldly and this one just in particular kind of looks at um a very specific culture that is more close to me than probably any Pixar movie or Disney movie to be fair, it has ever been like, I know that Mulan was the first kind of Asian focused um, Disney venture back in the nineties. And then they did a a live action one, but that one is more of, you know, it's a folk story um, from actual China. Whereas this one, I think what is unique about it is it's about a girl who's Asian, but is growing up in a Western country and, um, and a very, excuse me, a very Western city. So it's, it's in that sense. Like I, I think it's, it's accurate and there are obviously some elements that they take a bit of a, a grand look at it, but that it's a movie. It's that's kind of what it's meant to be. And it's a kid's movie too, to at the, mm-hmm. end of the, at the end of the day.
0: It's interesting. I found the final act of the movie for, for all that I was trying to pay homage to, to Domi's Chinese roots. I found the third act remis- reminded me a lot of, of, japanese culture it has a very anime style to Mm -hmm. the the big fight sequences there clearly is a reference to godzilla uh for anyone (laughs) hasn't seen i don't want to really spoil too much about it but there's clearly an homage to the godzilla films which is japanese and so it's just sort of interesting that that domi was was very comfortable portraying all the, the the Chinese cultural aspects that she wanted to include in the first, you know, two thirds of the movie. And then the final third just felt very Japanese to me. Did, did that come across to you at all?
1: I mean, I would say the whole movie, like the animation style is very Japanese anime and, you know, for Chinese kids growing up, I mean, we, we saw the same ant- like the sailor moons and the dragon ball Z and all that kind of stuff. Like we grew up with that stuff too, which is very Japanese, but, um, I know again speaking with Domi it was like I I know that she those are the things that she watched growing up and like Totoro and a lot of you know we had something there's like Ding Dong and Hello Kitty and all those kind of things um you know she grew up with that and that was especially at that time when we were growing up not to say that there wasn't there is a, obviously a very big difference between being Chinese and Japanese um but when you're growing up it's just kind of like they they do bleed together in the sense like in a Chinese mall, you'll find Sanrio stuff all the time. Like, so it's not that. So it's kind of like, it makes sense to me because that just would have been what she grew up with in the same way that that's what I grew up with too. Um, And yeah, so I I think like she definitely borrowed from that animation style and it was very intentional to do it that way because the whole movie is meant to be, you know, through the eyes of a preteen Asian girl and so that's why everything's so bubbly and anime, y because back in it would have been set in what two thousand. Oh, when did she set this movie? Two thousand two, two thousand three, yeah. around there. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the kind of influence that a character like May, someone like myself, someone like Domi, um, we would have been exposed to that kind of stuff, and those you know might have been the things that we gravitated towards as young girls.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I I, I, would, I did want to bring it back to the, the multicultural aspect, because I loved how May's friend group was, was diverse, because you had May, who is Chinese, uh, and then I'm going to have to bring up the names here uh, between them all.
1: Abby was Korean, who's my favorite. She's adorable mm-hmm. with her purple overalls. And then there's Miriam, who I think is the white girl, and... Mm-hmm. There's a South Asian girl whose name Priya, I can't, Priya, I yeah. think, yeah, Priya.
0: But then also they had their friend uh, or the the classmate Tyler who, yeah, who who looked a little ambiguous. And then you see his parents later on, and it looked like he was probably a, a mix of of the West Caribbean. Indian. Yeah, and, and, and black or or something like that. Uh, you heard the dad speak it and sound like he had a, a, some sort of a, a Caribbean accent, whether it was Trini or something else, uh, which is very Toronto as well, very, where yeah. I, I really sort of appreciated that. And I was able to sort of see a lot of my classmates uh, being represented in this way, which was very interesting and nice to see.
1: I think Domi did it in such a great way. Like I think she did it in a way that like, if you grew up in Toronto area or like the GTA, it feels very real and very like authentic to what you would have grown up with. And I know maybe for people outside of Toronto, it seems a bit far-fetched and it seems like, you know, they're just kind of tick boxing a bunch of diversity and representation, inclusion and all that nonsense. Like, I shouldn't call it nonsense, but like the tick box exercise <laughs> is nonsense. It, it's mm-hmm. nonsense when it becomes like a put upon uh, performative thing. But fact is, is that's just what, especially downtown Toronto, that's what it looked like then and continues to look like today. And I grew up in the suburbs. Like I was born in Toronto, but I grew up in the suburbs. And where I, when I was growing up, it was still a fairly predominantly white community. Um, and nowadays, as you can see it, like the surrounding suburbs of Toronto are getting more and more diverse as, you know, from even when I was a kid. So um, it it is a a very real thing that I find kind of funny that people didn't think was real. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I found it kind of funny that people who were outside of Toronto or outside of Canada thought that that's not real. Like they're just doing that because um, they want to show like multicultural stuff. And it's like, no, but that's actually how it was.
0: What did you think of the final a uh, big boss sequence taking place inside the SkyDome as someone who is a avid Jays fan. <laughs>
1: um I love that it was the SkyDome. It would have been very annoying if they for some whatever reason had to call it the Roger Centre. Um yeah, it was fun. I uh, there was a, a like a friend of mine who uh, I met on Twitter. He was like there's no way the SkyDome has that much chalk to make it a big <laughs> circle I was like that's a good point uh but I loved it I mean I I remember watching the Backstreet Boys there when I was a kid so it was kind of funny to to see it that way although I will say they when they did the concerts, like oh, when did I go to watch the Backstreet Boys maybe it was the winter because I don't remember the dome being open when I went to go watch the Backstreet Boys but I loved it. It's fun. Like, I think it's, again, like you like you said, it's called like the, it looks like a Godzilla kind of thing or like a King Kong type thing. And we don't usually see Toronto in the center of something like that because, um, you know, kind of pressed with the whole episode is the fact that Toronto usually is is disguised as a different city. And there's mm-hmm. not as many movies to pick from that um show toronto for toronto so something like the skydome they would generally hide it because that is a very particular thing of toronto and you can't really replicate say that oh that that's yankee stadium because clearly that's Mm -hmm. not yankee stadium um so it's nice to see like it's really cool to see that you have like a giant red panda come in and destroy skydome yeah, it does no. need a renovation, to be fair, and they are working on it right <laughs> yeah. now.
0: But. Yeah, the, the, the renovation <laughs> yeah. thing at the end that that was a, that was a little too on the nose. Where I'm like, oh yeah. man, well, they've been try, they've yeah. been saying that they're gonna do renos for like 20 years now. They are doing it now.
1: I mean, they're doing it now, kind of. They they have been
0: bit by bit every year trying to upgrade stuff. It was so yeah. funny when uh, when when the, the giant red panda attacks. Skydome and it like rips the roof open. All I could think about was like, oh my God, this is a custom roof. The company no longer exists. Every time that there's <laughs> issues with the roof, it's such a heartache because it takes them forever to basically build the parts they need to fix the roof tracks. And here they are just ripping the roof open.
1: Well, that's why at the end they had to say, raise all that money because, yeah. you know. Those, it was, those was a great visual
0: make. gag where it says that they're, they yeah. need to raise $10,000 and then the camera pans up, it says $100 million. I'm like, yeah, that's more yeah. accurate.
1: Much more accurate. Yeah. <laughs> even for 20, 2002, <laughs> 2003, it was much more accurate. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now it would probably be like $2 billion.
1: I don't even... I can't even imagine how much it's gonna cost them to do this renovation. I think they are yeah. looking to just build a completely new site for the Jays to play in, but which seems like a shame, but you know, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's, that's a whole other bucket of worms where no idea what's gonna happen with that. Yeah. Like you don't wanna lose that downtown real estate that's just outside Union Station, that's central to everything. The location the is that, the best.
1: Yeah. Like it that is it's, it's the perfect location to put a stadium in Mm -hmm. and i don't know what they're like i mean there's a reason why they haven't just said we're going to go build a new one because like where are you going to put it so unless you say they're not going to play in toronto for a couple years while they while they build this new stadium um and to be fair they didn't play in toronto for a couple years so there you go
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no kidding yeah that would be something that would be a real shame uh i know that they've talked about different locations and every time that they do it just like it it just wouldn't be the same whether it's downsview park or or wherever it just would not work out
1: logically it just doesn't make sense like right now you're right downtown and it's easy for everybody from like people who live downtown and also the surrounding suburbs to get into to watch games like it's in, It's relatively easy. It's not cheap, but it is easy for, for families to get in. And if you move it somewhere else, it's not going to be like, I mean, they need ticket sales. So who knows if like, and I mean, the Jays are good right now, but they had many years where the Jays were not good. And so if you make it in such a tough spot to get into, but anyways, I digress. <laughs> I think yes. we're going down a blue Jays wormhole here.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but this isn't the first time that Domishi has, made her film uh, central to Toronto and uh, previously her short film bow also took place in Toronto. And and that was sort of like much more fun teasery where like, if you didn't recognize the, the landmarks in the background, you may not have noticed it as much, even though it really was central to Domi's experience in wanting to tell the story of, of this, you know, young boy growing up and leaving the mother's nest and all that sort of stuff. But uh, she really sort of took it the next step further with this film, and it was really great to see it and nice to see so many people talk about Toronto in a positive way uh, being depicted on screen and not just, hey, look how they managed to convince everyone that this was actually New York or Chicago or wherever.
1: (laughs) I I do wish, I mean, we're going to get into the other movies and like the different types of the city, but I do kind of wish that they would just do a movie kind of like a New York City, Wall Street type movie. Um, like they did American Psycho. They filmed that here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And but I, I wish that they would just do like one about like Bay Street kind of like it's still Toronto, but it would just be like a Bay Street type thing. And it would be very like set right in the the financial district and use all that because I think that would be interesting.
0: There There is a movie. One of the ones uh, I had kind of suggested to you is one called Owning Mahoney, which is a Philip Seymour Hoffman TV movie. I haven't seen that. Where I haven't seen it either, but I'm familiar with it. Where he plays a CIBC bank employee who embezzled oh. <laughs> something like ten million dollars for his gambling addiction, and it's about the trial of him stealing from CIBC.
1: Oh, I love that! Yes, that's like exactly the kind of movie. I was like, I feel like we're missing that. Oh, I should go watch yeah. that. That's cool. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I like
1: the closest I thought of was Cosmopolis because they do mm. touch on that, but it's not really about toronto specifically like a toronto bay street thing specifically it's more of yeah. just corporate greed stuff but yeah
0: yeah and, and that's sort of the case a lot with david Cronenberg's films they're they're shot in toronto they use toronto's location but it's not it's not really the same way as what we're talking about turning red where mm-hmm. toronto mm-hmm. is a character absolutely Greetings, we're Technically a Conversation, a podcast for curious people by curious people. Every week, we take turns presenting a new topic, and the other host has no idea what the topic will be. We strive to educate in a way that's loose and fun. Our topics are all over the place, from light and funny to dark and sometimes spooky.
1: Some of the topics we've covered include urban legends, civil rights activists,
0: vampires, pop culture icons the supernatural and occult spies and espionage science and astronomy and other weird and random things if any of these topics interest you give our podcast a shot listen and subscribe at technicallyaconversation.com, apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcast For rental advisory we might use strong language so the next movie i want to talk about we mentioned it off the top of being proudly Toronto and very out-and-out visible Toronto, would be Scott Pilgrim versus The World. I absolutely adore this movie. I've seen it countless times. I've seen it so many times that I didn't even need to re-watch it in preparation for this episode. It is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, I I once went to a screening where beforehand I I got to meet Edgar Wright, um, Brian Lee O'Malley, the, the comic book artist, and some of the actors uh, as well, got their autographs and then went to a, uh, screening of it at what is, uh, hot doc cinema now, I believe at the time, was it still blue street cinema? I can't remember. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Um, I think it was.
1: I don't think it was hot Dogs yet.
0: Okay. Yeah. It must've still been blue street cinema. And it was, it was one of the most fun experiences I ever had, and, and I absolutely adore it. And, and Edgar Wright loves this city too, and he's always, you know, tweeting about it, how much he loves it. Every time he's in town, he talks about his favorite spots that he goes to, where he'll, he'll check things out, and he'll post pictures. And everything about this movie just gives me the, the warm and fuzzies, and I, and I love talking about it. What is your relationship to this movie?
1: I have to admit, I like this movie Um, and I do enjoy seeing the references from this movie. I do not have the affinity for it that uh, like the bulk of people I know do. And it's not to say that I, I don't like it. Like I, I do genuinely like the movie, but um I, do, I don't have like the warm and fuzzies from it that I notice other people have. And it could be potentially because like when this movie came out, it was um, they're talking about you know, kind of being student age, university age slash mid 20 age in Toronto. Um, and and even though it's like around that time, that would have been my age group. I wasn't in Toronto during that st- stage of my life. Like I went to university out in Kingston, and then I ended up um, moving away um, for the majority of my 20s, like outside of Canada. So I didn't really, I think, experience this Toronto as much. Like when I would come home, it would be like for maybe a couple months or like a month at a time, time kind of thing. Um, so I maybe that's why I don't really get the same nostalgia pull from it from other people in, in our age group. Um, but I do love it. like, And I like that Edgar Wright, kind of similar to Guillermo del Toro, who we mentioned earlier. It's like they have such a love for this city considering they're not from here like David Cronenberg he's he is like a very Toronto guy um, but Edgar Wright and and um, Guillermo del Toro these guys like they just love coming to the city and filming here um, and showing off the city which I really appreciate um, and and Scott Pilgrims such a great one um, like I was saying you know Toronto doesn't have too many movies where it, it's used the city is used for the city. And I think the biggest shame of that is unlike places like New York or or um, or London, we don't really have that cinematic visual preservation of the city, like of different times. Because obviously, like every city, Toronto is adapting and changing all the time. So a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff that you see in Scott Pilgrim doesn't exist anymore, right? Like no. it's just not there anymore. And it's nice to have these movies where it is, even though it's obviously fictional and all that kind of stuff. It's nice to have that like and New York has like a massive history of of so many movies that show off the city from decade to decade to decade and you can see the the vibe of the city change. you can see the landmarks change and things like that. Um, Toronto doesn't have as many, and I think Scott Pilgrim is one of the best examples of that because it really really does show Toronto through the eyes of um, like youth, right like students mm-hmm. and and 20somethings and what they're going to see um going to see and going to do in toronto and i would say like we're going to talk about the f word in in a bit but i'd say like the two of them do a very very good job of preserving toronto during that time period
0: yeah so uh, scott Belgram came out in 2010 but it's based around you know about the 2005 to 2007 era and and even though it was only like five to three year time difference Several of the locations used in this movie had to be recreated because Mm -hmm. they just didn't exist anymore. It's such a crazy situation where you're talking about like you talk about how so many movies have been shot in New York. And so you could see the difference. Think about just something like Times Square. You can watch, you know, something like Raging, uh, not Raging Bull, um, Taxi Driver and see Mm -hmm. what, you know, Times Square looked like in the 1970s. And then you'll watch something I can't even think of something off the top of my head. New Year's Eve, where mm-hmm. you know, it takes place, the New Year's Eve times the, the ball dropping it in Times Square and stuff like that, and how completely different they look. It seems like every major movie uses a sequence that takes place in, in Times Square if, it, if the movie takes place in New York, and you can sort of see the evolution of it.
1: I think of Vanilla Sky when Tom Cruise runs through the empty Times Square. Like, that's a nice visual. I've Times never Square. seen
0: that one, so I can't comment You've on it. have never
1: seen Vanilla Sky? It's not that great. No. <laughs> I don't know I why know. I'm so I'm shocked. Sorry. It's not, it's not <laughs> the greatest. Um, but it's, I mean, it's funny. Like, if you look at our version of Times Square, like Toronto's version of Times Square, the Dundas Square area, like, that looks completely different. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny. So, like, my mom doesn't really go downtown a lot. And I was, I took her downtown. It sounds like. I'm like taking her on a field trip, but I went downtown with her and she was looking around. And I was like, it looks completely different to the last time she went downtown, which was maybe like five years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. Um, and so it's like it, within sh- very short periods of time, Toronto is a city that I think sometimes to its detriment, it doesn't really like to keep its history as much, um, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a shame. And so what ends up being is like just everything changes and it looks completely different. And, one of the great things about Scott Pilgrim in that time period, it's like there were so many more, I think, distinctive things about Toronto that are kept in there versus now there's like a shopper's drug market on every corner. Uh, Tim Hortons are everywhere. Like it, you know, there's, you talk about Bloor street cinema. It's like all the cinemas nowadays are, it's just a cineplex, right? Like it's, there are very few um, independent cinemas that exist. And if they do, they are in Toronto, um, downtown Toronto. So it's nice, like I said, like to have a movie like Scott Pilgrim that does show those things. And it just preserves the city in a way that, you know, we would rather otherwise would need to rely on people's pictures and videos and things like that. Um, So it's kind of nice to see. And, And like, again, Edgar Wright really, really shows the city off. Like he doesn't he doesn't just use the city as like a background thing. Like like you were saying, Toronto is very much so a character in in the film
0: yeah absolutely and and it just sort of reminds me so much of my youth because mm-hmm. I after I graduated from college in 20, 2009 uh, I lived somewhere else I was still kind of in the neighborhood and then my next place after that was um, down in Koreatown which is basically right next to where a bulk of this movie takes place you know Bathurst in, uh, in Bloor and Bathurst area there are several key landmarks that are in there between the, the Bathurst and Spadina intersections. You've got like honest edge, you can see in the background, the pizza pizza that's right there. I've spent numerous times drunk in that pizza pizza specifically (laughs) the original location of Sonic boom, which is right next to what is now hot Dogs, is now a dollarama. I had only been into that Sonic boom, I think once or twice when it was in that location before it moved around the corner, um, where part of the Honest Ed's block, which has now been torn down, and I don't know if it's done yet, but uh, when I left, in the process of being turned into condos, and and so many other things, like uh, the school that Knives goes to is Saint Michael's College, which I also used to live around the corner from that. That's more uh, Saint Clair and Bathurst, uh, Saint Clair and uh, yeah, Saint Clair and Bathurst. Uh, so a little bit farther north, you know, Casa Loma, the steps at Casa Loma. All that sort of stuff is just so much reminiscent of of my early 20s through my my mid to late 20s. And, you know, there's a big climax scene in Lee's Palace. I've been there so many times for concerts. I can't even count how many times I've been there and seen so many great acts. Uh, I I absolutely love the geography of this movie. And so watching it is always just sort of the like, I don't know, a, a wink to myself being like, yeah, I've been there. I've hung out there. I've... I've I've been drunk in that location. I've I've passed out there before. I've done this there before. I've done that and you know, I've gone on dates there, whatever it is. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why I love it so much, because it's not treated as I don't know, like we have to set the movie here because this is where the comic books is. It's it's done with such love and affinity by mm-hmm. the whole cast and crew. You could tell that they they took real painstaking care to make it as accurate as possible. I was watching a video to sort of see some of the filming locations, and some of them I didn't even realize that they filmed that. Like, they filmed at uh, Artscape, Witchwood Barnes. I used to live nearby that, too. I didn't know I that didn't they know filmed that. A, a scene there. Yeah, that's the, that's the scene where Scott goes and fights um, the ex-girlfriend of Ramona, um, mm. where they have that fight in both... Ramona and Scott have uh, an argument and then he has to fight. uh, I think her name is Roxy uh, where they have their fight where he can't hit a girl.
1: I think like Scott Pilgrim is, is literally a movie that was made for our generation. And I think particularly Mm. for you, like as being like a young guy in Toronto and you're also like into music. And I think Scott Pilgrim does a really good job of showing the Toronto music scene um, decently well. And it's like, it's like, I feel like it, Like it makes sense to me that you would have such a love for the film because it seems like a movie that is almost like literally made for you, like for you and and, like people like you. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think that that's like, that's amazing because again, we don't normally Toronto people don't normally have that. I call it a luxury, but it's not really a luxury, is it? It's just a thing. Like we don't really get that, which is why. I think people from Toronto get so, when, when something is set in Toronto, they're like, oh my God, that's from Toronto. Like, we're really eager to claim those things because you just don't see it very often.
0: hmm All right, let's, uh, let's sort of move on to uh, another movie that is from a similar era, and that is The F Word, which was directed by Michael Douse. I'm going to give you my number. We should hang out. Yeah. My boyfriend will be worried about
1: um, what happened to me. So, friends? Yeah, why not? Okay, friends. Is this always how you make friends? Like it's a business deal?
0: Yeah, actually. Mm. It's just my style. Okay, it's quite nothing, but it's good. So,
1: Wallace, we should talk about the complex issues of our time. Can men and women really be friends, or do you secretly want to bang Chantry?
0: She has a boyfriend. I had never seen this movie before. I've had a few people really recommend it to me. I'm not a big rom-com kind of guy, but every once in a while there's a rom-com that I think really hits the sweet spot and it i i would i would liken it sort of to to other genre films where there there's sometimes just a lot of crap and the people that are fans of it will watch anything and everything from that genre but every once in a while you'll get this really great one where regardless of the genre it's just a good movie
1: mm-hmm. and i
0: watched this and i was so pleasantly surprised what a great movie this was and and how much Toronto also sort of played a key part in this. And it's so weird seeing a movie that stars Daniel Radcliffe as a, as a movie uh, about uh Toronto. I I I was just so blown away by how funny and heartfelt this movie was and how it didn't fall victim to the usual tropes of a film of this style would and also some just like really great performances. It was funny watching Adam Driver, who plays Daniel Radcliffe's best friend in the movie, basically playing his character from Girls, uh, which I noticed. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of really great things to love about this movie. Had you seen this one before?
1: I haven't. I'd heard about it. And very kind of coincidentally, a friend of mine recently watched it like last week and was like, you should watch this movie. Um, you'd really like it. And it ended up being one that we decided to pick for for this um, episode. But I, like, similar to you, I'm not the biggest rom-com fan, although, I mean, we can make a really good argument that it's not that we don't like rom-coms, we just don't like bad movies. Um, yes. And a lot of, it just happens that a lot of rom-coms aren't great. But I think as a genre, like, if you can do it right, then it's a good movie. Like, a good movie is a good movie. I don't care what genre it's coming from. Um, and the F word's nice. Like, it's it's a very sweet movie. And, you know, we talked about diversity with um, within uh, uh, Turning Red. We were talking about that there. But, you know, seeing Daniel Radcliffe in Toronto, like, it's not odd to find British people. Like, I know he's white, and so that's not the kind of diversity we're talking about. But, like, if we're talking about, like, national diversity and just the fact that Toronto is a city that a lot of people from other countries, um, like, there's a lot of Irish people, a lot of British people, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Europeans come here. Um, and live for however long for school or you know and then they get a job here or something like that so I like that and I like I really liked Adam Driver's performance as well he was really really funny in it and I never watched Girls so I've only ever really ever known Adam Driver as the very serious dramatic actor so it was kind of nice seeing him be very very funny and I think he should do more comedy because he's he's quite good Um, but yeah I, I really enjoyed the movie and Similar to Scott Pilgrim, it shows the city off really nicely and like in a different part of the city, too. They're out in East Chinatown quite a bit and they go to Scarborough Bluffs and that kind of thing. So that's kind of nice, like to see different parts of the city as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, so much of watching these movies, my notes just were me writing down what landmarks I recognized or things like that. <laughs> and the first thing that popped out, you know, this movie opens with a, a title sequence, and there's a bit of a montage, you see streetcars and different parts of the city and whatnot. But then the opening scene is at this party. And the first thing I recognized was a yellow strip of paper on the fridge. Did you notice that? I didn't.
1: A yellow It is a paper. Toronto parking like a transfer? ticket. Oh, a parking ticket. I have gotten
0: a few of those. That's hilarious, actually. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that
1: on the fridge. That's yep. so funny.
0: Yeah, it it was just one of those absolutely unmistakable things where it's just like Ugh, parking ticket.
1: I got one recently that they put in the handle of my car. Like, the handle? Like wow. not on the windshield. Like they shoved it into like the, the door. I was really annoyed by it. But anyway. Really?
0: That's weird. Yeah.
1: That's funny though. I didn't know that. I should go back and check that out. That that's really funny. yeah.
0: It was it was there on, on the fridge of I guess that's supposed to be Adam Driver's house. Uh, yeah, which is I'm pretty sure just a frat house because I definitely recognize the exterior of that where it looked like a U of T frat house.
1: You would recognize a frat house, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh yeah, I've been there.
0: Maybe I don't know what that says about me, but rowing out
1: to in the in the frat houses. <laughs> My. <laughs>
0: My prom after party was at a U of T frat house. Are you
1: serious? That's really funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, funny. This frat house ordered us kegs and a bunch of other alcohol and stuff like that. So we paid, I don't know how much it was, 10, 20 bucks to get in. And how did booze. that even,
1: how did that even come about? Like, what, did somebody know somebody in the frat house? They must and have. That's, that's funny. I don't even know It is so weird to think was. about
0: that that um that these guys who were probably I don't know between 18 and 22 decided to host a party for a bunch of 17-year-olds.
1: That is actually well, I mean it's good good like economics. Why not make some money from it?
0: Right. That's yeah. really
1: funny though. I I can't <laughs> I'm trying to remember where we had our I think it was probably just at someone's house. I don't think it was at a definitely wasn't at a frat house. I can say yeah. that I from safe certainty that it was not at a frat house.
0: But it was really cool in this movie to see stuff like the Royal cinema that's in little Italy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of little Italy, I've Still been there, there several times. Yeah. It's, it's one of the last few independent theaters mm-hmm. and they they do a ton of great work in the community and, and for aspiring filmmakers showing films that literally nowhere else in the city will show them. And, and it was so nice that they went there for a screening. And th- what they they went to go see uh, Princess Bride, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, Princess Bride.
0: Yeah, which is pretty funny. But, but other very stuff, in you know, keeping
1: like- with like the indie cinemas because the indie cinemas here don't like they'll show something like you know uh, worst person in the world or like After like those smaller movies that might Cineplex might not pick up on it. Yeah. Um, but they're typically what they're showing is like old movies from way back when I know the review cinema out in Ronsi, they were just doing Batman, the 1989 Batman.
0: So mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm.
1: it's very, very like in keeping with what that kind of theater would be showing.
0: Yeah. But there's, there's plenty of other great, you know, landmarks. Speaking of something like turning red, you get to see Chinatown quite a bit. Um, like you said, they, they went out to the Scarborough bluffs specifically. Uh, is, it, is it, not cherry beach. No, that is what's that beach called?
1: Honestly, I don't know. I just remember. I just go there.
0: Yeah. It's It's out on the east bit.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where I had only gone there, I think, uh, the year before, I think it was during the pandemic. Maybe it was. I don't remember. Yeah. It was during the pandemic. My wife and I went out there on my birthday, I think, and we kind of had a little picnic on the beach. And it was my first time going out there. it's like, how, how did it take me this long to come out to this beautiful beach? And so I know exactly what part of the water they were at where they went skinny dipping.
1: I'll say Toronto is a really funny city. Like the surrounding areas of Toronto is really funny that if you grew up on the West End, you know nothing about the East End and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Like um, a friend of mine, her husband grew up in Mississauga. She's from Vancouver, but like she, uh, her husband grew up in Mississauga and they were in Markham and trying to find somewhere to eat. And they had to like look up on their phone where to go and like how to get there. And she was like, aren't you guys like, how are you, how do you not know like what is here? And he's like, I never come here and i said to her i was like it's the same thing if i went to, out to mississauga which is out west i would 100% need my gps on and i wouldn't know and like like you said like scarborough bluffs wasn't very common to you like i've been going to scarborough bluffs my whole life basically because i i live on the east side of toronto on the east end of toronto so um yeah like it's it's funny toronto's a really weird city like that where it's not really big but we are very stuck on our sides and <laughs> we don't really when we venture out to the other side it's a it's a thing it's like it's like oh like like you said that like you went there for your birthdays it's like an occasion that you went to yeah. scarborough bluffs whereas like i was just there last weekend to go for a little jaunty <laughs> walk yeah uh
0: and then i think my my biggest bone to pick with this movie is this is a movie that takes place in toronto and i looked it up The director is from London, Ontario. Mm -hmm. Why not once, but twice were characters wearing Montreal Canadiens t-shirts?
1: Listen, sometimes people want
0: to. I don't want. I don't know.
1: Once is (laughs) enough. People want to root for a team that that like has won something in the last thirty-some odd years. Okay, right, Jill, now you're I you're not even
0: a hockey fan. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. not. Listen to whatever <laughs> jibber jabber you have to say about the Leafs. Okay, it's you
1: know funny though. I will say, like, I I'm not a hockey person, but because I don't like the Leafs, like, I if you told me to pick a team to root for, it's always been the Montreal Canadiens because I you know that that story the the hockey sweater, which is a yeah. very famous Canadian children's story. And it's about like a a family in in Montreal and like the kid gets a Toronto Leafs, a Maple Leaf sweater um, from Eaton's, which is very cute. Uh, And (laughs) he like (laughs) hates it. He hates it so much because he's like, no, I want the Canadiens. And I think from that book, it made me be like, I'm a Canadiens fan. If you put like told me I had to root for a team, it's going to be Montreal. So maybe the people in those people are the same as me and they're just like we're going to be contrarians and we're going to, we're going to root for Montreal of all teams.
0: I don't, I have no idea. The, I, I didn't look too deeply into it. The only thing I can imagine is maybe the directors, despite being from London, maybe either went to school in Montreal or his yeah. family from Montreal and is just a fan of them. But yeah, I noticed it at first. It was early on in the movie. Daniel Radcliffe's nephew was wearing a Habs t-shirt. I was like, Oh, interesting. That's, yeah, uh, that's a little that odd. Yeah. I'm like, I get it. You know what? They're they're from England. You know they don't understand the difference between the Toronto Montreal rivalry, whatever. And then at the very end of the movie, when uh, Adam Driver and his wife are telling Daniel Radcliffe that they're expecting a child, he is wearing a Canadian shirt. I was like, no. Once is an accident. Twice is on purpose. What is going on here? And I tried to to do a little bit of research, and I couldn't figure out what the deal is with this. But I was uh, I was not pleased.
1: I think you're overestimating how many people who live in Toronto are from here, who do not like the Leafs. Like, I think you're really underestimating that.
0: Uh huh. I don't know. <laughs> I I think I I think I have a pretty rightful gripe. But uh, if, whatever. If they
1: were wearing, you can fill me in here on like hockey. I know Toronto and Montreal is like the big that's the big rivalry. What if they were wearing Sens stuff like Ottawa Senators jerseys and sweaters and stuff like that? Would you be as upset like not upset like would you be as like annoyed by it or is it because specifically it's Montreal or sorry yeah Montreal or is it just because it's not a Toronto team
0: um well Montreal is our biggest rival Mm -hmm. you know it'd be like if they're wearing Boston I'd be equally disgusted if they're wearing Ottawa I'd be like why the hell are they wearing Ottawa shirts? (laughs) who wears an Ottawa shirt like what is wrong with them Brody might have uh, something to say about yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, Brody. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really. You know, you, you try making fun of me and more than enough for being a Leafs fan, so I'm not really apologizing. Um, but come on, it, would you not be equally confused? Of, like, why are they wearing Senators gear? Who who likes the Senators? At least with the Montreal, <laughs> it elicits some sort of emotion, whereas the Senators would be confusion.
1: My guess I would just honestly guess that, the, like, they're – montreal fans or maybe the costume designer is a montreal fan and was like we're not putting the leafs in here
0: it's not something it it was just so it was just so funny that it's a movie about toronto and they put two montreal canadians t-shirts in the movie which like i don't know that like (laughs) was there no one along the way that was like hold up guys what's the deal with this
1: (laughs) i'm gonna say um dakota when you go back to edit this i want you to do like a counter of how many times you say toronto I think you're going to be really surprised.
0: I'm I'm so mad at you right now. It's really funny um, to me. I'm just going to ignore you. One of the other one of the other key locations in this movie is the George Street Diner. I yeah. I'm not familiar with it, but I looked it up, and I definitely know that area pretty well. Uh, I'm surprised, but apparently it's it's quite a, a popular little diner. But it was just sort of cool that they. They incorporated so many little details to what the city is like.
1: Um, I really like the George Street Diner. Sorry, I have to pause my mic for a second. I was coughing. Um, I really like the George Street Diner. It is it is a tough spot to get a seat um, like Sunday it's mornings, Saturday mornings. It's so It's so tiny. It's very tiny, but it has like, I don't know, it's like the greasy spoon kind of thing where, um, mm-hmm. especially as Toronto continues its progression of being, I don't even know what kind of city, but you don't get this type of breakfast, brunch, lunch kind of spot anymore because now it's all very trendy and like very fancy foods. Um, whereas this is just like just you know your basic breakfast, and it's nice and it's it's really good food. And it, but it is very tiny. You're right; it's it's quite tiny, so it's tough to get your um tough to get a spot there. But if you do, it's delicious and um well worth the wait. I think depends on how it sort long of the reminded way, me.
0: A little bit of something like Vesta Lunch on uh, on Dupont Street.
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of. It, like, it's like it's that, like
0: narrow row of just like Greasy Spoon Diner,
1: which is nice. Like we just don't see that very often anymore, right? Like when a new spot, like a new brunch spot, is is created, like it's always. Like you and I could just like write what we think a, a typical brunch spot would be, and we would probably have like the exact same kind of Mm -hmm. elements to it because that's just what a brunch spot is today so it's nice when you see something a little bit more old school um and they tend to probably have better food as well just saying
0: yeah especially the type of food if like you've been drinking the night before and you're just like i just need i need a lot of hash browns a lot of bacon (laughs) uh really runny eggs and toast something like that
1: something really greasy and then like you said the toast to to Sop it all up, and then like diner style coffee, which is just yeah, where 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 you have your server
0: come by every ten minutes to fill your coffee cup up.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, none of this cortado nonsense with like oat milk and crap like that. It's just coffee. It's just normal coffee.
0: Now I want to pivot a little bit. We're talking about this idea of the city sort of changing and not really sure what it's changing into, and and I think a movie that captures this very well, was a documentary that we both watch called The Stairs. And it was something that I had never heard of before. And you had sent me a article from the Globe and Mail about the the 20 best Toronto movies ever made. And I'm going to link to it in the show notes because it's a fantastic article. And a lot of the movies we're talking about today and the ones I mentioned in the introduction are all sort of on this list. And this is a a documentary directed by Hugh Gibson, and it's sort of like this really intimate look at several people that live in Regent Park, and they're dealing with uh, addiction, mental health issues, living on the streets, um, working in prostitution and things like that. And, And I don't think I've seen... One, I've never seen anything like this about Toronto. So mm-hmm. so right off the bat, it was so original. I've never seen this. But on the same side, it is something that I thought was so necessary because Toronto isn't just, you know, a pleasant stroll through Chinatown or mm-hmm. going to Lee's Palace for a concert or, you know, getting drunk in the pizza pizza at Blue and Bathurst. There is a lot of marginalized and forgotten people in the city And watching this movie made me happy that it existed, but also so profoundly sad. And I thought what was most interesting is throughout this film, basically instead of doing establishing shots, it would cut between scenes of showing construction being done of tearing down buildings and Mm -hmm. new development signs and construction crews, which is basically showing the slow... You can call it gentrification, revitalization, building new stuff, making, getting rid of the old, making way for the new, whatever you want to call it. But it, whatever it is, it has an impact on people that are, are showcased in this movie. And, and it's something that is, is always sort of tough to deal with. And, you know, you don't want to be the person that's like, no, change is bad. Change is great. Change is very good. It's useful. But then, you also have to realize, but at what cost and how is it going to affect not just yourself and the people, you know, but the people you forget about and the people that you see and you wonder what is their story? How did they end up in these situations? And and I'm so glad that, uh, that you sort of pushed for this one. One of the things that I I want to highlight was the fact that we were making a list of what movies to talk about. And you want to make sure that we touched on something that included, uh, a look of people on color and, and turning red is great for looking at the, the Chinese Canadian experience, but the star, the stairs is great for looking at in general people of color who are often marginalized and forgotten about. And, and so I really want to thank you for, for putting this on my radar.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's very necessary. Like you said, to have a film about Toronto that isn't the hipster cafes. It isn't the music mm-hmm. scene. It isn't, you know, um, you know, a nice little family that lives in Chinatown. It's not like that because I think one of the things that I don't—I wouldn't just say it's a Toronto thing, but I think Canadians in general sometimes we can get a bit uppity <laughs> and a bit smug yep. when we, especially when we compare ourselves to the Americans. Like we look and we go, it, "There's not as much violence, particularly gun violence, in in our country." There's not as much um, like we always like to think. We're not as racist. We're not as uh, heartless as Americans are, we don't, we, you know, it's a, it's a cleaner country. Like, you know, like there's all these things that Canadians for a very long time have prided themselves on. And the fact is, is like, and I think in the last couple of years in particular, we've had a bit of a, a shift in that attitude because for as great as Canada is, and it is a great country, like I'm not bashing the country at all. Like I think it's a, it's a fantastic country and especially on, on like a world scale, I would rather live in Canada than the vast majority of other countries in the world. And I'm lucky, like, it's just luck that you and I, like we were born here, right? Like it just happens yep. that we, we, we ended up being Canadian. Um, but the fact is, is there are a lot of communities across the country, but in particular in a city like Toronto um, that, like you said, they're forgotten about and they get left behind in the, Immense amount of condos that are being built um, across the city right now. You mentioned Honest Ed's getting torn down, and if you're not from Toronto or, or you're too young to remember what Honest Ed's was, it was like a discount, um, not a supermarket, but it was like a discount place where you could just buy like really cheap stuff, discount and it was
0: perfect. Department store,
1: yeah, discount department store, like it was a great place for new immigrants um, to buy things for students to buy stuff. Um, but also people, just low income individuals like to get things. And the fact that they're tearing it down to build like a luxury condo that, you know, the 1%, you know, I hate to say it, like sounds a bit cheesy these days to call it like that, but like not, not many people are going to be able to afford to buy that condo, to rent that condo even. Um, And it's, and that's a thing that is endemic across the entire city. And one thing that I've noticed in the past few years in particular, and I COVID definitely um, exasperated the situation, but the homeless issue in Toronto is getting incredibly bad. Like it, it was always there and it was never too hidden, but um, it's definitely gotten worse and worse and worse as the years have gone by, which you could say that that's because the city is getting bigger, or like more populated, but it's just, it's not the right trajectory to go. And I think what the stairs does so well is it focuses on um, three people in general, but it just kind of, it's representative or representative rather of, you know, people who are drug users, people who were sex workers um, and not, and and the thing that Hugh Gibson does such a great job is it's not, uh, it's not in a done in a judgmental way. He doesn't, there's no leering either like it's not poverty porn it's not judging their decisions and their. you know it's it's a very frank and open discussion which each of the, the people in the each of the subjects of the film um you know there's one uh one of the guys his name is greg and he's just like you know um very open about the fact like no like i like smoking crack like i get that it's bad mm. for me but like hey i i enjoy it and it talks you know about having like safe injection sites like that's kind of what it's alluding to in that and it's you know I, I think some people might not be comfortable accepting the fact that a city like Toronto that does have all those nice and fancy things and um, you know I mean within where Regents Park is like you can just go a little bit north and that's you got Yorkville right and that's one of the wealthier yeah. areas of the city and there are tons of people who just be like I'll just ignore what's going on at Regents Park and you know, I don't go there. That's not my day to day and think that that's okay. But the fact is, is it's, you know, you're a city, you're, you're a whole community of people. And there are a lot of people that are really, really struggling. And I think the fact that this film exists is, is incredible. Like I, and it did really well when it was released, it was released back in 2016. um, But it did really, really well when it came out, like it won a ton of awards and um, it got a lot of recognition, a lot of great reviews. Um, and it's a fantastic movie that I'm sure you could probably link it. It's a, it's, if you're in Canada, it's available on TVO, um, on their website for free. So I would highly recommend people watch it because, yeah, it's just, you know, we can bask in how fun Toronto can be for, for people with money or whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of sadness and darkness to the city as well.
0: Yeah, I. It's interesting. I actually worked for a time in in that area right mm-hmm. before the pandemic hit. I was working for a company where, if you really want to figure it out, I'm sure people could. My the first are we had several offices in the the Queen sorry the the Carlton and Parliament area, and so I was working there. And then while I was there in my tenure, they shifted their office down to Queen East and Parliament, which is just a few minutes south. And so this whole movie basically is that neighborhood, and I have walked up and down those streets to get to the subway stations, to get to work, to get to wherever I need to be in that area. Different meetings that I had, it was it was shocking being able to sort of see inside the buildings that mm-hmm. I I knew so well. I that one in particular, the I'm pretty sure the stairwell that um, that Marty slept in that he showed at the very beginning of the movie and he was like, oh, and this is my living room and this is my bathroom and this is my dining room. Oh, look, someone's already peed in the stairs. I forgot to clean up sort of thing. it's all very ha 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 sort of thing. If the exterior matches the inside, what I believe it is, I've walked by that so many times. And during my time that I was working for this company, they started demolishing these buildings. And it's just sort of the, every every Marty that possibly used this building as a safe place to hide out that lived there because they had nowhere else to live that whatever the situation was now aren't living there where are they now where where did they move to because that's that's the often the problem is every time you know a building like that gets torn down, it creates sort of this shuffling of the deck where it's just like, okay, now it's someone else's problem. Now now you have to go find somewhere else to live. Now you, you have to find somewhere else to, to sleep at night. And it's sort of this very tragic shuffle where nimbyism also comes in places. Yeah, we'd love to have a, a homeless shelter, just not in my neighborhood, okay? Um, and, and anytime a building like this where it's presumably mostly low income people, uh, housing projects, things like that, you're going to unfortunately cause a lot of disbursement. And then what happens and who, who is being hurt by this, who is, who is not benefiting anymore from having a roof over their head. And you're watching this movie and more often than not, you realize these people are, you know, there, there's a scene where, what was, what was the other gentleman's name again? Uh, Greg, where, you know, he's dealing with this court case and he uh, you think he's going to lose his job or something like that. And he's just like, OK, and then what happens when he loses his job or Marty when, you know, he gets into a fight with someone and they're, you know, saying, call the cops, fire this man. What happens when he loses his job, this apartment that he works so hard for and he's able to go out and, and buy these, you know, Bob Marley T-shirts and sneakers that he loves so much? What happens then? And it's and it's that's sort of the the most tragic thing. And I and I I don't know if I like or dislike. At the end of this movie, I was really hoping for some title cards of me too. What happened
1: yes. No, what me happened too. next? Yeah. And I was, I, was I, like, I thought what, what there happened were with
0: this court case.
1: I I think Marvel has conditioned our brains a little bit too. I was like maybe. sitting there waiting, and I was like, maybe it'll come after the credits. And I was like, that's stupid. Why would that happen in a film like this? Yeah.
0: Um, but I completely agree well, with you. It's, it's yeah. a documentary thing.
1: Like yeah. most
0: yeah. documentaries, when they're dealing with subject matter like this, they'll be like, "Oh, and then this happened to this person. Tragically, this person mm-hmm. ended up dying." Sort of thing. Where it's like, I, I, I needed a little bit of closure of what was happening after this because this so much was a in the moment slice of life documentary, even though it was shot over five years.
1: Absolutely, and I like one thing I loved about the film as well was like showing. You know, we have. Everybody has certain, I think, preconceived notions of what a drug user looks like, what a prostitute looks like, and what their life looks like, and the kind of person that they are. And I think what the movie does so well is it shows like a lot of humanity behind our own biases and our own judge- judgments. Um, and like I like the idea that like Roxanne, uh, who's the uh, the third subject of the film, um, she was a sex worker and now she's a social worker you know, but, and she doesn't speak of her time working as a sex worker as in any shame or anything like that. It was more of just like, well, this is the job that I had, like, just as we all have had different jobs in our, in our lives, like, you know, but, and then Greg and Marty both working, um, at the, the like community service areas of, of helping homeless people and helping drug users. Um, and I, I like that it was showing, kind of the other end of like the light at the end of the tunnel, I guess you could say, but also the fact that they're still dealing with addiction that they are still using. Like it isn't necessarily just saying you have to be completely clean or completely sober. You know what I mean? Like it's, and I, Mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed like that. They had that insight. And one thing you were saying um, that I found really interesting is the idea of like the not in my neighborhood, you know, Mm -hmm. like again, we talk about the movies that we we've already discussed in, in um in, in this episode and it's like Toronto is a fairly liberal city. It's a fairly left-leaning city. And everybody here is, will say, of course, like, of course we have to help the homeless people. Of course we have to help drug users. Of course we have to help, you know, sex workers and like to, to get them on their feet and, you know, put a, a roof over their head and food on their table. Like, of course we want all that. But the second that you tell them, well, okay, so we're going to build, like, we're going to put um, a safe injection site next to your building. Then it becomes like, a, oh, oh, does it have to be here? Like, can't we put it somewhere yeah. else? Like, you know what I mean? And I think a city like Toronto does have that contradiction. And I think it's important that it's highlighted. And I mean, the fact like that movie six years ago now, right? Like there's the, the stairs was, it came out in 2016. It started filming back in 2011. So over a decade now and like not much has changed. If anything, things kind of got worse in a, in a sense. And uh, like I, I already said, COVID kind of affected that, but like, it's a shame that it's not just has it it hasn't changed, but it hasn't gotten better either.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I obviously I moved during the pandemic, so I don't know what it's like. And, and I stopped working in that neighborhood. But I, I can't imagine that it was a beneficial moment in time mm-hmm. for that community. Yeah. Now, while I keep going on, we'll, we'll sort of very briefly touch on uh, two other movies we've we've covered extensively on this show we did an entire a24 retrospective about enemy the Denis villeneuve film that takes place in toronto uh i i originally kind of wanted to leave this off off the list completely because we did an entire episode you can go back and you can listen to that and we talk about uh filming locations in toronto in mississauga and and what that was like but i figured we we sort of very briefly touch on it here you know it was it's great that this, this, is, this sort of falls in the category of maybe something like a David Cronenberg film where they they utilize Toronto as a city, but it's not really a character in, in sort of the same way uh, that some of these other movies utilize the city.
1: I will actually not completely counter that, but because um, I do agree with you. But one thing that I like that Denis Villeneuve did in this movie was, um, I mean, the movie has a big spider thing um, in it, which I yep. know you you really enjoy. Um, and <laughs> it's like, I love that they took, they kept using shots of the um, streetcar cables that are yes. just all over this. And for me, that's a very, very distinctive Toronto thing. Um, The fact that we still have stupid streetcars, but like they are helpful. Um, But the fact like those, those wires and the cables overhead, like that is such a Toronto thing. And to use it artistically to, kind of go with the spider theme. I always thought that that was really like, that's always been one of my favorite things about the movie being shot in Toronto was because it is like a, a spider thing. And they yeah. very cleverly was like, we're going to use the streetcar stuff because, or the, the cables because it does look like a spider web. It so like yeah. So. And I like that. And it's, it's cool. Like it, like, you know, we talk all the movies that we've talked about. I think what's neat about the movies that we selected is it shows a different part of Toronto And I think what Mm -hmm. Enemy does cool is like, it does look at some bits of the, the downtown core, like right, right um, near, like, I know, I think they use some like on Victoria street and like that kind of thing. Um, But it goes over to Mississauga. It goes over to UTSC, which is in Scarborough. um, And I think that that's nice. Like it just kind of shows the expanse of Toronto and how many different, we might not have the same variety that like a Vancouver has, um, in terms of landscape, but like there are many different pockets of the city that can be used in a film, and I think Enemy does a good job of kind of looking at almost a bit more of the the G- GTA part of Toronto.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I I guess I would probably walk back my statements a little bit because there are numerous establishing shots showing the city as a whole where mm-hmm. you see the whole skyline and things like that the poster and, too
1: it has um that is like the complete toronto skyline isn't it with the on jake yeah Gyllenhaal's yeah and yeah.
0: jake jill hall's profile of his head yeah it yeah. shows it like overlaid on top of that yeah it's it's just not done in a in a way similar to something like turning red or scott pilgrim or Definitely. even the f word where they're sort of name dropping these things it was just like hey if you know you know sort of thing
1: yeah and i mean that that's very like kind of in the style of Denis like I'm a, we both really like Denis Villeneuve as a director and it's like mm-hmm. for him to do something like uh, like Scott Pilgrim like that'd be weird that's not a Denis kind of movie whereas like Edgar yeah. Wright would be a bit more kind of driven that way whereas Denis would be a bit more I suppose artistic about it um, yeah. yeah yeah.
0: which so they're, they're different styles and yeah. and the, those movies need those different styles in order for them to work properly mm-hmm. and, and it worked out nicely and like um, I I already
1: brought up Guillermo del Toro like maybe a couple times now, but like he uses the city in a very different way as well than than Edgar Wright did, than Denis Villeneuve did. Um and I, I really Yeah, like Toronto's that. basically
0: become his his filming uh home base of the last like several films that he's done.
1: I think he lives in Toronto too. I think he like bought a house. He here. does have a home here, yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: There. I'm not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I want to move on and touch on, on one other movie we, we have covered extensively on the show, and that is Scarborough, which is another great Canadian film that sort of showcases a little bit different side of it. You know, we, a lot of these movies we're talking about Toronto, we're talking about the downtown core, the, you know, the original city of Toronto before Amalgamation happened in, what was that, 1998, 99, 1999, whenever that, that happened, when... Uh, etobicoke in east york and scarborough and all the different parts of of the outer region of toronto became uh, officially a part of the city of toronto um and and scarborough is is one of those regions where it is now a part of the city despite the fact that it is very different from the downtown core. You don't have things like the financial district uh, running across Bay Street or you know the downtown of Young and Dundas Square and things like that. It is much more, I don't want to say suburban, but it's just much more uh, families living there in mostly a lot of high rise buildings and things like that, but is much more family home oriented, as opposed to the downtown, which is much more business oriented and continuing our sort of conversation of the stairs shows people of color and especially something that the stairs doesn't do also include uh, indigenous people that live in the city as well. And, you know, there's some, some great Beautiful shots of Scarborough that really sort of showcase what that area of the city has to offer, even if it is sort of forgotten mostly by downtowners.
1: I think I would actually say, I don't think it is forgotten by them. I think that they look at it and talk down on it quite a bit. Um <laughs> like there are people who, you know, when you say you're from Scarborough, people are like, oh, Scarborough, like, oh, wow. Like, or like, or they like have a, a deep, like, what's it like over there? Which is (laughs) ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I like one thing Scarborough and the Stairs and I think does really nicely is they show community, which it's almost become a bit of a trope these days of when you show like low income neighborhoods and talk about the community and and the strength that they have. And um, in terms of like relationships with one another, the way that like families will help each other out because they all know like they're all kind of in the same boat, right? Like, and they need to look out for one another. Um, but it is something that, you know, is lost when you go out to the suburbs, like the actual proper suburbs. And even if you're downtown Toronto and like financial districts, like there's not really a sense of community in those areas. Like you, you're, you're in your house. You don't really know your neighbors. Um, you're in your condo. You have no idea who the hell your neighbors are. Um, and whereas other places they, you know, where maybe there's a bit more misfortune, there's a bit like a bit more hard luck. Um, they do band together a lot more. And I always think that that's like a really nice bit. And I mean, we've, we've talked about Scarborough on the show already and um, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but it is a movie that it's like, I love that it exists like kind of in the same way that turning red, it exists. Like I like that Scarborough exists because that's a part of the city that has been, reviled so much by by people who live in the suburbs who live in toronto like i i still know people who refuse to go to scarborough because they're like i don't want to get shot i'm like what the hell's wrong with you like it's not you go in there not that bad like you know so it's so i like that they have a movie that shows the good and the bad like no no place is perfect and i and i think that you know Catherine Hernandez wrote this um the novel that the and she also wrote the script as well um and i think it's it's a beautiful love letter to Scarborough to a place that tons of people don't want to be considered from Scarborough and or sorry they don't want to say that they live in Scarborough even though it's ridiculously expensive to buy a house in Scarborough right now um but it's just a place that for a very very long time was was looked down upon and i would argue still is looked down upon today and I think it's nice that we have something that shows the city or the neighborhood, whatever you want to call it in a, in a positive light while taking the negative with it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. Now, Speaking of Scarborough, uh, a few shows ago on episode 185, 2022 Canadian Screen Award nominations, we looked at the movies up for the most prestigious awards given out to Canadian cinema as we reviewed several of the movies there. Uh, the awards were broadcast on April 10th, with more of the awards being handed out during the week on live streams. We talked about how both Scarborough and Night Raiders led the pack with 11 nominations each. Now... The aftermath of that is Scarborough won big on that night and throughout the week collecting eight awards including Best Picture, Best Director for Sasha Nakai and Rich Williamson, Best Actor for Liam Diaz, Best Supporting Actress for Cherished Violet Blood, Best Adapted Screenplay for Catherine Hernandez, Best Casting, Best Sound Editing, and the John Dunning Award for Best First Feature. On the flip side there, Night Riders won six awards including Best Actress for El Maggi Tailfeathers, Best Original Screenplay for Denis Goulet, Best Costume Design, Best Sound Mixing, Best Makeup, and Best Visual Effects. El Magi, Tail Feathers, also won an award for Best Documentary for The Meaning of Empathy. Other winners include Joshua Ogic from Wildhood, winning Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Drunken Birds gained Best Cinematography. All My Puny Sorrows getting Best Editing and Best Original Score. And Learn to Swim getting Best Original Song. We managed to basically review all of those movies on that show, and you can go back and listen to it all, so I'll also link to that in the show notes. But... What a what a great uh, representation of Canadian cinema for the last year. I was I was very happy with with how this all sort of shook out, and so many deserving people winning awards for their films. What are your sort of thoughts on uh, this year's Canadian Screen Awards?
1: I love it. I mean, we've been kind of banging on about diversity, and I know that a lot of people kind of cringe at the idea when we people talk about diversity now because it's become a bit of a trendy thing to talk about, but if you look at the movies that um, were being honored, like not just the ones that won, but the ones that were nominated as well, like you're covering such a wide swathe of of the country. And I think that that's really cool. Like the fact that we're not just looking at a particular, like the big cities, you know, we're not just looking at the big cities of Canada. It's not just the Montreal's, the Toronto's, the Vancouver's. Um, you're looking at other parts of the country as well. and um, And in different ways too, like, even when you do look at the city, you're looking at it through a different lens. Um, so it was, it was like really great year for Canadian film, I think. I think there are some really cool things and some really great filmmakers to to like keep an eye on that I think are going to continue to create. Because for a lot of them, this was like their first movies, right? Like our first or mm-hmm. second films. And it's incredible to think like what they're going to continue to create and achieve um, as the years go on. And yeah, it's been, it, like I think you and I are just kind of lucky in the sense that we did watch so many of the movies from last year. Um, Canadian movies from last year. And they are so good. Like they are really, really good. And and I know that in Canada, we're just so close to the States that sometimes we overlook Canadian cinema because, you know, Hollywood tends to take up the the space at cinemas. Um, But there are so many great creators in the country and they're all worth checking out and because they all have something a little bit different to offer. And it's really fun. Like, I hope that that's something that we've kind of emphasized in this episode, which is it's fun to see your city um, up on the screen because we don't generally see that. So whether it's, you know, like Wildhood shows off, you know, Nova Scotia and um, obviously we just talked about Scarborough, but it's like, it's cool that you get to see different parts of the country and different creators and voices from it. So, yeah, well done to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really yeah. great. Scarborough did so well, too
0: hmm. Absolutely. I'm I'm looking forward to to trying to catch up with with some new Canadian mm-hmm. movies for this year. I know you had already sent me a screener link for Ash Grove, which is one that uh, that Matthew Simpson on Awesome Friday has been sort of championing yeah, as well. He's done a couple movie. interviews and in, in podcasts about that film. So so shout out to him for for doing his part. Also promoting Canadian cinema. Uh, I'm yeah, it, it's one of those things now where every festival I'm sort of like being like, all right, what, what looks like that's going to be the the big Canadian movie this year?
1: Yeah, I think like, I mean, Ashgrove is it is great. I also just want to say you brought up Matthew. He has a really good blog post of a bunch of Canadian movies um, that he put up for Canadian. What's it called? National Canadian Film Day? Canadian National
0: Film Day? Yeah, that was a couple days ago.
1: Yeah, not too long ago. So he he has a really, really great blog post of a bunch of different movies that you can catch up on and, and where to catch up on them as well.
0: Yeah, I, I must have missed that. Uh, I am very sorry, Matt. I will uh, check that out, and if I uh, I'll, I'll try a link to that in the show notes as well. I'm going to have a lot of links. Every, every <laughs> once in a while, we have these shows where I'm just like I've run out of character limits. For weeks. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I I'm very excited. This was a, a nice, fun episode to do talking about Toronto and Canadian cinema. But I think, uh, I think that sort of wraps it up. You know, I think a good place, if you're int- if you're interested in the movies that we we're talking about, check out this Global Mail article that I'm going to link to in the show notes. There are 21 movies listed here in this 20 best Toronto set movies. Uh, and then there's a few others that are name dropped throughout it as well. And a really great, you know, uh, learning ground of, of where to catch up on, on Canadian cinema, especially, because more often than not, we look at Canadian cinema and go, oh, Canadian cinema, oh. <laughs> if... It just means it's a cheap knockoff of an American movie, sort of thing. But there are some some really truly fantastic films by some really creative and individual artists that uh, that should be that should be checked out throughout the history. Not just modern ones, but there are some great classics as well.
1: Definitely, I really enjoyed this one. This was really fun to do. We should do one for Vancouver. Now that you're over there.
0: Yeah, I, it's funny. Uh, I, I tried when, when thinking about this episode, I looked at Vancouver, there's a lot less movies set out in Vancouver. There are some that include like a single scene here, yeah. but uh, not in the same way of, of Toronto. And even in the same way, you know, I, I was talking about it with, with Steph and cause she suggested the same thing. And I was like. Let me, let me name you five Toronto set movies. After the first couple, they're going to be a lot more niche and not as well known. Yeah. Now imagine that for Vancouver, but <laughs> starting at number one.
1: I would actually, we were talking like, probably we can take this offline, but it's like Montreal and Quebec in general, like French Canada has a ton of great, great films and they, they are yeah. actually properly set in Quebec. So that might be something to
0: mm-hmm. do. Yeah, I feel like I would need someone from there. To sort of I was gonna say to you and I are not from Quebec, more.
1: so that would be yeah. yeah, but that would be that would be we've, fun. We both spent
0: plenty of time there. Yes, though.
1: yes, but that would be a fun one to do, like for to to get some French Canadian. Because actually, just as we were talking about the Screen Awards, I was looking through them like there weren't as many French Canadian um, films up in the uh, nominations as I thought there were. So yeah, I, they but they make a lot of really really good movies over there.
0: Yeah, usually most of the best Canadian films do come from Quebec. But I think this wraps up our show. Rachel, where can listeners find you and more of your work?
1: Go to rachelkh.com, and I'm on Twitter at underscore rachelkh.
0: Excellent. You can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And let us know your favorite movie in Toronto. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out.